Section 20 of Lives of the Presidents of the United States in Words of One Syllable. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Jennifer Beckett Wood. Lives of the Presidents of the United States in Words of One Syllable by Helen W. Pearson. Chapter 20. Grover, Cleveland, 1885-1889 Stephen Grover, Cleveland, was the first Democrat who had the chair for more than a score of years. He was born in the town of Caldwell, New Jersey, on March 18, 1837, and was the fifth child of a good man whose task it was to preach the Word of God in the church of the place. He came of a good stock, and one that might fill him with pride of birth, not for their wealth, but for their gift of mind. He was of a race that had shown a strong will and brave hearts. When he was but three years old, they moved to Fayetteville, New York, and this was where he spent nine years of his life and went to school most of the time. They were poor, but the boys and girls had all the chance they could wish to go to school so that they might be fit to hold posts of trust when they grew up and were of an age to earn their bread. When Parson Cleveland grew sick, Grover at once made up his mind that he would like to earn his own bread and help his folks. His first place was in a store in this town, where he was paid a small sum for his work, and we are told that he was true to his trusts and gained the goodwill of all in the place. This he held for two years, when he went back to his books. But a great grief was in store for Grover that he did not think would come so soon. Parson Cleveland, worn out with his work, died. This death made a change in the whole course of Grover's life. He had to go back to work and earn bread for those who were in need at home. He found a place in the Home for the Blind in New York, where he stayed for two years. At the end of that time, he made up his mind that he would learn law, so he set out with a friend to the west part of the state, where they hoped they could get a chance. It was a strange quest on which these two youths thus set out. They had no friends to find them a place, and their funds were small to keep them while on the search. He stopped in Buffalo with one of his kin, who found him at last a place such as he wished. It was said of him that at this time that when he had work to do, he did it, and did it well. He was at work in this place for eight years, and the first year he was not paid at all for what he did. When the war broke out, Grover had a wish to go and bear arms for the help of his land, but he thought it was not right when those at home were in need of help and had no one else to look to for it. But there were two that went forth from that home to do or die for the right. Cleveland soon was known as a man well-versed in the law, and he took charge of more than one great case that brought him in much fame. For the most part of the time, he was on the side that won. He was soon called to take more than one high place to put in force the laws of his state. He is said to have worked at all times for the cause of a poor man, with more zeal than for the rich, if he thought he was in the right. His fame soon spread through the state, and he was placed at the head of the town 
and then at the head of the state. He was at all times hard at work and would oft spend the whole night with his books when he had to read up for a case. At no time in his life did he seek for place. It was his own true worth that won them for him. He made his way up step by step and soon won the good will of all. As the chief man in the laws of Buffalo, he showed his true worth in the way he put down those who had lived by bribes in high places, and he did much to cleanse the town of such men as stood in the way of its best growth. When the time came to choose a head for the great state of New York in 1882, Cleveland was named to stand for the place. Charles Folger ran with him, but lost by great odds. In his place as the head of the state, Cleveland showed that he was worthy the trust that men had placed in him, and he still went on with his good work. The term of Cleveland's stay in the White House was not marked with great changes, or much of note. What was called the Chinese Bill was passed to keep out the Chinese from this land. Some felt that this was not a just bill, as the same rule was not made for those who came from the rest of the world. Men thought it was not fair to pick out China and say that no man who came from there could land on our shores. But those who wished the bill to pass said that the Chinese did not want to be Americans and would not be if they stayed here for years. They came here to make what they could, but they meant to go back to their homes at last and take with them all they had made. They would not take the right to vote if they could get it. So the bill was passed to keep them out, but the Chinese who were here at the time had leave to stay. The Mills Bill to make the tax less on all goods brought into the United States made more stir than aught else in Cleveland's term. The cry of free trade rose, and the classes who work, the men of trade, took fright. They knew the price of all work was low in Europe, and they thought if a tax were not fixed on the things made there, they would sell just as cheap here, or else American things would have no sale at all. Then they said wages here would soon be as low as in Europe, and the poor man would have less to live on. When Cleveland was put up for a new term, the cry of, No free trade! rang through the land, and the fear of that change did much to make him lose votes but all he wished to do was to make the tax less. This tax on goods and all things brought into our ports is called a tariff. Cleveland was the first president who was wed in the White House. He took for his wife Miss Frances Folsom. James G. Blaine of Maine had a host of friends who would have been glad to have made him the next president. He was in Europe when the choice was made, and it is said he would have served if he had been the choice of all. But there were some who feared to put him up, as he had not proved the best man to win the last time. So they chose Benjamin Harrison of Indiana, and he gained the place. He was made our president on March 4, 1889. End of section 20